this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this is the beginning of a brand new limited series. It's like when they go on, when they have like a new TV series and they're like, no, 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 no we're not going to leave you hanging by canceling it after two seasons. This is a limited series. We know there's going to be a beginning and an end. How do we know that? Because this is all about diamonds, Jay. Shiny like a diamond. It's shiny like a diamond. Uh, yeah, that was a terrible Rihanna. Um, we'll take it. We are talking about diamond releases. Now, what in the, the 90s, a couple of albums sold diamond, which is, there's, you have gold, which is 500,000. Then you have platinum, which is a million. And then when you hit 10 million, that's called diamond. And we've already talked about a diamond record, Jay, believe it or not. We've talked about Nirvana's Nevermind. True. That's, that is one of the handful of diamond albums. There are some albums, Jay, which are triple diamonds. That's three times 10 that's million. Wild. They're all by Garth Brooks. No, there it's like <laughs> the Eagles' greatest hits. Okay. Um, I think ACDC's Back in Black is up there. Yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some big ones up there. We decided, you know, we talk about the whole mission statement of the show is is telling the story of the 90s through the obscure, the underappreciated, the overlooked, digging into scenes, digging into aspects of the 90s that aren't on the tip of everybody's tongue, like Nirvana. But when we did that Nirvana episode, it was also a really good opportunity to talk about an interesting record and how it fit into the 90s and how it has aged. And we've been kicking around the idea, wouldn't it be cool to talk about some of these big albums and just see how they've aged? Yep. Because in looking through this list of albums that came out, I know every single one of them. I didn't necessarily listen to every single one of them because the singles were all over radio. And I kind of yep. feel like you're in the same ballpark, right? That's Yes, and I think that's why... This was an interesting idea for us to do is that neither of us have really, I think with the majority of these records, uh, either owned them or spent significant time listening to them. So other than the singles, they're kind of brand new for us. So it should be interesting to go back with right as fresh years as you could have, I guess, having lived through the decade. So these are the Diamond albums besides Nirvana. You have Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Creed's Human Clay, Green Day's Dookie, Hootie and the Blowfish's Cracked Review, Jewel's Pieces of You, Kid Rock's Devil Without a Cause, Matchbox 20's Yourself or Someone Like You, Metallica's self-titled album or the Black Album, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, Pearl Jam's 10, Santana's Supernatural, and The Smashing Pumpkins' Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, which is actually quite impressive considering that's a double album. Looking at that list... I've only listened to the entire album for maybe four of those records. So we got a lot to cover. I don't know about you, but I never bothered to listen to Santana's Supernatural. <laughs> I just didn't. It was not in my, is not in my, no, nope. uh, you know, rotation as were a number of these. To start it off, we're going to go with something that I, I know neither of us listened to. And that's No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. That's our first diamond selection for this limited series. We know the singles because they were all over the place. You could not yeah. escape Don't Speak. Yeah. However, Just a Girl was, was pretty big too. Yep. And Spiderwebs. Yep. So take those three songs. There's still 11 other songs on this album. Uh, yeah. Now, I didn't realize this, but there were actually seven singles released. For three years, they were putting out singles on oh this album. Oh, my God. It actually has an interesting backstory as well, which we should get into here. I, I don't need to go into the history of the band. I think people know who Gwen Stefani is and, and how big this band was. This was released in October of 1995. It took two years to record this record. It was produced by Matthew Wilder. Does that name sound familiar, Jay? 
No. Nobody gonna break my stride. Nobody <laughs> gonna hold me down. Wow. Okay. That Matthew Wilder. He wrote the music for Mulan, among other things. Like he's a he's a big time songwriter, producer, like behind the scenes. So after their so their first record came out on um came out in ninety two on Interscope Interscope Records, the self-titled. The the only song that was really kind of a, a minor hit was Trapped in a Box. That sold about 300,000 in the US. So they decide, okay, next album, let's get a big producer. And it's Matthew Wilder. And they start working on the next record. And two years go by. And they turn it into the label. And the label says, this is garbage. We don't want anything to do with this. And they ended up putting it out themselves. It's called the Beacon Street Collection. And it was all the songs that, that Interscope rejected for what was going to be their next record. Sold about 100,000 copies. Um, I think a lot of it was after all this happened. So they go back into the studio. They spend another two years in 11 different studios trying to make Tragic Kingdom. Now, while this is happening, I don't know if you were aware of this, Jay, but there was some personal drama in this band. Mm, Tell me more. Do you remember such... Uh, personal drama as a uh, bass player, Tony uh, Canal and um, Gwen Stefani going through relationship issues, specifically that Tony broke up with Gwen Stefani during this period. Mm. They were dating. Also, her, uh, Gwen Stefani's brother was in the band, Eric Stefani. He was actually a primary writer in the band. He wrote uh, the song Tragic Kingdom on this record. Exactly. And he wrote, um, he co-wrote a number of other songs and he wrote a song called The Climb as well he was getting mad because he was the guy who's produced the first couple records and he didn't like matthew wilder sort of stepping in and like making suggestions and being a producer that's what a producer does make suggestions you should try this here so he ends up just basically walking out on the band halfway through the recording session and and giving up because he doesn't want to do this anymore um he's an he's an illustrator or an an illustrator an animator Mm -hmm. and he ends up going and works for the simpsons wow so it's not a bad career move. I mean, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. I think this record was a pretty big payday. But I listen, guess he, he still got paid though, right? Because he's he got still got paid. Credits. He's got all those songwriting credits That's and he doesn't true. have to go tour. That's he doesn't true. have to spend time in buses and in hotel rooms. Right. Driving around. He just collects the check from the songwriting and the and the royalties and goes and writes, animates The Simpsons. So that's not too bad. This ended up coming out on Interscope trauma trauma being the sub label and as was mentioned in our comments which we'll get to in a little bit but revelation records put out the vinyl and this was the uh, best-selling album that they had for a number of years because they would do those deals with major labels where like the major label didn't care about vinyl in the 90s so like a little indie label would be like well we'll press 500 copies of the vinyl for hardcore fans Mm -hmm. and then of course this album blew up, so they uh, they kept repressing it, repressing it, repressing it, and making a lot of money. They also did. Um, he said Bush's Razor Blade Suitcase was another one that they did that I guess did pretty well on vinyl. Um, so Smart. Yeah, exactly, this album has seven singles. Jay, we know that we we know the basic ones, right? We know just a so the first one was just a girl. Yep. Then you have Spider Webs, and both of those did well. Yep. As singles. And then and those came out the year the album came out in 1995. 1996 is Don't Speak. Number one everywhere except Germany and Austria. Only went to number two. I would love to know who beat it. Maybe it was <laughs> Rammstein. I guess they, they couldn't rock, knock Rammstein or Hasselhoff. One of the two off the charts. <laughs> But that, I mean, that's how you know how big this album was. Even the singles went platinum. Actually, this Don't Speak went double platinum as a single, which is pretty good for the 90s. I mean, there were some singles that did well, but that's, that's pretty insane. So they released Excuse Me, Mister as the fourth single. That didn't really do anything. Then they released Sunday Morning as the fifth single. That did okay. 
that actually charted in a number of places around the world and ended up going gold in Canada. Um, and then in 90, that was 97, also released Happy Now as a single. And then in 98, they released Hey You as the final single for this album. So this was, I mean, this is like use your illusion-esque in terms of its longevity. And the amount of time that singles, I, I feel like Don't Speak was on the radio and MTV for like a full year, nonstop. Yes. That's my recollection. You could not escape that. Yeah, that went hard. Yep. And of course, they followed this up with Return of Saturn in 2000. That had a number of, of big singles with Ex-Girlfriend and Simple Kind of Life. That was followed by the album uh, Rocksteady in 2001. It was very quick, 2000 and then 2001. And then and Rocksteady had um, Hella Good and um, Hey Baby and Underneath It All. And then the final album from the band is push and shove which came out in 2012 i don't know any of the music off of that record i like the three big ones tragic kingdom return of saturn and rocksteady i know all the singles like i I, i've heard all those you know bouncing around radio and stuff like that but i i think before we did this i had like the greatest hits collection which is called um the singles 92 to 2003 and that's what has the cover of It's My Life by Talk Talk, which was um Oh, that's right. Yeah. A big single in and of itself, yep. I believe. Yep. Yeah. So I was looking at uh who directed their sing their um their videos to see because sometimes you see in the videos like David Fincher directed them, like Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. So yeah, I don't notice any of the names here. It's not until like later where mark romanek who's a director directed the um hella good video anyway let's get into some of our comments because people were they were all over the place and the poll is going to shake out that way too in terms of how they reacted to us bringing up this this album but we're still doing the same number of obscure records yeah right? this is this is going to be extra credit we're doing these on top of that so yep stay with us here yeah, Phil Fleming said this is one of those records where an identity, where an identity crisis moving away from their ska roots, whether they really wanted to or not, and inner band conflict, Eric Stefani leaving, Gwen and Tony breaking up, turned into gold. Not every song works, and commercially it was milked for too many singles, but the first three or four singles were some of the better pop songs released in the alt-rock era. Gavin said, decent EP for me, clearly a band in transition and wrote some genuine hits. Just a Girl was perfect. It was a perfect song for the time. An album I had and listened to, but don't revisit these days. <laughs> um, Andrew O.C. said, when my wife and I were at Riot Fest, No Doubt and Motorhead were headlining at the same time. I had no interest in seeing No Doubt and grew increasingly angry when forced to watch their set over one of Lemmy's last rodeos. My saving grace is that I told my wife I had to take a big poop and snuck away <laughs> to see a good chunk of Motorhead's set. That's a good... Uh, it's a good excuse that's a good way yeah i like that i mean who's gonna say no right right who's gonna argue with that no stay right didn't you wear your diaper and you know you're buying especially if it's public you know you're buying yourself a good amount of time Mm -hmm. like oh there's a long line and yep you might not even make it stomach's really messed up yeah uh scott witt said i was working in a record store when this came out seemed like corporate ska i remember seeing videos and thinking yeah, this band is done. She's going solo. Hmm. Tara McCook said, one of the most disappointing trajectories in music is that of Gwen Stefani from what she was in No Doubt to Anodyne reality star and Nashville wife. Anyway, this is such a great record. Every track on it is something interesting sonically. Even the comically overplayed Don't Speak plays with the pop breakup ballad in really fun ways. And yes, before you ask, I did play it into one of my high school breakups except i was the dumper not the dumpy another woman fronted band which mattered a lot to me as a kid i get that the whole ska thing is polarizing i also know how great that record sounds even today excited to hear how you all re-examine it on the opposite end hale phillips said i hate no doubt in a way that is possible when your hatred only possible when your hatred begins as a teenager 
no matter how bad music gets going forward, no matter how awful the next generations of music, musicians may be, my personal musical Mount Anti Rushmore will always be Gwen Stefani, Gavin Rossdale, Fred Durst, and then he said Hitler, but Hitler <laughs> oh, was not on. a musician. Come on. Don't go for the easy target. Yeah. And how uh, uh, Jeremy Med said uh, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, that's Mike Bankhead. I had this album. I liked this album. I'm interested to hear what what Tim and Jay think of the stuff that didn't make the radio. That's our plan. Willie Dillon, this is one of those albums where too many album tracks, uh, where too many album tracks pale in comparison to the well-known singles, at least in my opinion. Maybe it's just because I've heard them so many times, but the songwriting seems a a lot stronger on those singles. A lot of the album tracks just sound like middle-of-the-road ska. They're more successful when they incorporate elements of ska into a rock song instead of just creating a straightforward ska song. Anyway, better EP for me. Rich Dodgen said, my gut reaction was to classify this as a worthy album, but I've just tried to listen to it for the first time in years, and I found myself skipping through every track except Just a Girl. It all sounds horribly dated, and there's nothing else here that grabs me and maintains my interest, so it's a decent single for me. And then E. McIver, I remember back in university, a lot of girls on my floor in the residence loving this album after and after listening to it i didn't understand why even next girlfriend could not change my mind or provide enlightenment subsequent albums do nothing to change my opinion of them at least the video for it's my life cover perfectly shadowed gwen stefani's upcoming solo career because she murders her bandmates in the video uh going back and listening to this album i still don't get it Did this album just benefit from timing with the fall of grunge that's an important aspect that we can talk about and music looking for a strong woman with attitude in a post-Alanis jagged little pill world. Would it have been the same impact after 1996 with the Spice Girls and their girl paro mantra and the rise of pop stars like Britney Spears and their ilk? I've noticed Spears' album is conveniently missing from your list. Yes, there were some other Diamond albums, but we're not covering pop and hip-hop and country. Yeah, we're going to try to stay close to the rock space. We, we need to stick in our... I have no business reviewing a Britney Spears record. I right. just I don't know that I can add anything to the conversation. Sure. And I don't have anything to talk about with regards to the bodyguard soundtrack. <laughs> right. <laughs> I so, mean, I really like Dolly Parton. I do too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Love Dolly. So yeah, let's get into talking about this record. Do we want to go with the standard? What worked? What didn't work? Yeah, Is that yeah, we're yeah, keep yeah, it like course. that? Okay. All right. Start us off. Like the record. What works for you on Treasure Kingdom for No Doubt? I think the band shines on this on this record. I, uh, you know, memory serves. It's it was all about Gwen Stefani, but as I got into you know the fourteen tracks here and got beyond the singles, even listening to the singles with fresh ears, but more more into the album tracks and the deeper tracks, I really like what the band is doing a guitar player is got a really simple tone really plays well in songs um meaning like he's not overplaying um he's often not even playing chords he's more doing like melodic lines and syncopations and and sort of simple things here and there but they're dynamic and tasteful and i think sometimes offering a big part of what the hook is so you know who he is he's scars he is scars mike campbell yeah (laughs) maybe yeah i mean it's kind of like that it's not flashy or anything but when you really listen to what's going on in the songs the guitar parts are pretty important Mm -hmm. um throwing the harmonics in and spider webs those like pinched harmonics in there you know coming from a metal background Happy Now has that really cool, like, surf-inspired guitar lead with the big tremolo bends. You had the best, but you gave the rough Cause dependency might interrupt your list of oil so hard to please Put your indecisive mind at ease You broke the set, now there's, there's only singles There's no looking back, and this time I'm beating Are you happy now? Well, tell me That was a really, really effective uh, 
um, melodic hook in that song. Sunday morning, if you just listen to what the guitars are doing there, it's they're moving all over the place. There's some catchy riffs, some lines, but it's shifting and transforming. You know, it's, it's a, that's a good ex- example of a song where he's the guitar is finding the spaces. It's not taking the song over. Um, and then there's little flourishes like the flamenco style solo and don't speak. And then the finger tapping in tragic kingdom, you know, as you're seeing, you're hearing all of these different layers also added into some of the songs that are, you know, a little bit more ambitious. The keys on this are also really cool. I, I forgot they even had a keyboard player in a band. I mean, to be honest with you, as I'm looking at the record, I'm like, that was the first thing that kind of t- drew me in was just all the different cool key sounds going on here from that gurgling synth and spider webs, which I've barely remembered that was even in there. But now that I listen to the song, it's a huge part of lifting that song up and, and creating the, the melodic glue for that tune. Cause the verses are, uh, can be, you know, so kind of syncopated and weird. Some cool like organ sounds I think are coming from maybe the ska influence, but they're being transformed here into something different. So the climb has some really cool organ under it. There's a harpsichord solo in Hey You. It's like, oh, let's let's uh let's let's tear into the harpsichord. Um the organ in 16 is really cool. Sunday morning has a a bit of like a Elvis Costello flair to how the organist handled in that. It reminded me of like his attractions there stuff. piano and uh ended on this it it almost reminded me of like oh this is this is maybe the genesis of a band like panic at the disco where it's like this kind of emotional pop dancey kind of thing that's you know piano driven or has these other you know kind of non-traditional instruments in it for pop music or you know fast kind of up-tempo pop stuff and then the bass has all kinds of cool moments too. I think the best one is is 16. That song might be one of my favorite on the record. It was totally unexpected. It's this real grindy, distorted bass tone. It's a simpler song in terms of like the layering that's going on there. It's very bass driven. It's just a such a, a cool rock song that I didn't expect to have on this record, but with a very different kind of approaching that it's not heavy guitars it's a heavy bass line that's this kind of driving the the energy in that song and then there's i think just some couple there's some unexpected album tracks on here that i think are really strong like i genuinely enjoyed them uh 16 is one tragic kingdom is just a weird song but Mm -hmm. i kind of love it it was written by eric stefani um it's pretty different it's a little it's very trippy it's a little progressive it's got like almost some jellyfish flair going on in there um with this trippy 60s kind of vibes and some progressive things and some really unusual chords and of course it's very weird but awesome if you had Um, told me that was um a cover from rocky horror picture show i would have believed you (laughs) you know what i mean like it has this like 70s rock opera sound yeah I kind of, I kind of love it. Um, I could listen to a whole record like that mm-hmm. for this band.
I think Sunday Morning is a strong track that I was a single, but I didn't remember it. Ended on this. Um, I think it again is, you know, this kind of palm muted driving guitar thing, but then this piano pops out of, of nowhere and really kind of takes over uh, the melody. And uh, Happy Now was another one that had that fun, uplifting new wave vibe with the surf guitar melody line that um, I thought was, again, unexpected. Not what I thought this band was going to be about on this record and uh, ended up liking it quite a bit. So that's some of the stuff that really stood out to me, you know, the band performance and then some, I think, really strong album tracks. How about you? Well, revisiting this, obviously you're hitting the singles and these are, uh, somebody mentioned it about, you know, the singles being among the best in the, in the nineties, as far as pop singles. And I, I agree like spider webs and just a girl, especially the dynamics that they utilize in those songs to, to utilize the ska upstroke but to make it interesting in a way that makes it a rock song so that, I mean, it's in it, I can hear like the police influence in that where like sometimes the police would utilize the, the ska upstroke, but it wouldn't necessarily be a ska song. Yeah. And hearing the construction of those songs and, and a lot of dynamics, her vocal is super melodic in those songs. There's pre-choruses and choruses and post-chorus bridges that have really catchy parts. Reminded me of, I'm glad you mentioned like Jellyfish and Elvis Costello because like the way that they would write, you know, multiple layers of, of vocal harmonies and, and uh, melodies and stuff that like reminded me of that. I have to say I softened a little bit on Don't Speak. I used to hate that song because it was just so overplayed, but listening to it now with more of like a critical ear I do appreciate like the actual writing of that song and how well it works. It is a little weird that Gwen wrote it with her brother about the guy she broke up with. Yeah. <laughs> like writing a song with your brother about that subject matter is a little odd, but whatever. And I, I think getting into this, I want, I wanted to hear the lesser known stuff. I didn't pay attention to any single beyond at the time. Don't speak. Like once don't speak happened, I was like, I'm out of this. Yeah, get me out of here. And then like five years had to go by before I could listen to another No Doubt song. Listening to it now, it's clear why it was so popular. And the fact that you have Gwen Stefani able to deliver it and be in the video just makes it even more, you know, logical that the the thing blew up the way it did. I don't think it's surprising at all. No, and it followed the... um... Um, the power ballad formula in terms of uh, it's mm-hmm. the third single, you know, it's accessible. It can be played anywhere, you know, and yeah, it's the ballad ish. And this came out four months after Jagged Little Pill. So the, you know, You Know How to Know dropped in July of that year. And then this album comes out a couple months later. So the idea, the, I mean, we talked about in our our episode about the like rise of the female artists in the mid '90s on that roundtable. But I think, like, I mean, this is definitely from a timing point and a subject matter point. You have this sarcastic, just a girl song, which is very, like, just perfect for the time. Just absolutely, she could not have timed that better to come out after you ought to know. Grunge has sort of petered out by this point you know nirvana's done pearl jam's gone not indie but you know they're not they're not making videos anymore they're barely touring because they're in fight with Ticketmaster. Soundgarden's doing down on the upside allison chains is struggling to stay together i think you know they had the tripod album either this year or the next year but with the drug problems of lane staley i think didn't they open for kiss on the reunion tour around this time and like played a couple shows and that was about it. That's what yes. I remember Alice yep. and Chains doing. Yeah. So like you had, and you're basically into the second wave of grunge at this point with yeah. Bush and silver chair and, and those kind of bands. So it'd be natural, especially with like, this is 
perfect teenage music. So like if you were yeah. 11, 12, and especially if you were 11, 12 year old girl when grunge happened, I could see that not appealing to you because that's so male centric. And then this comes along and Alanis comes along in, in 95. And you can see how, I mean, after this, you get so many artists uh, that are, are probably would not have gotten any sort of um, attention in the first half of the decade, but you know, you get your Tracy Bonhams and your Mer- Meredith Brooks and and those kind of people. But all, I mean, all the way, like you can draw a connection between like this and Pink or this and Katy Perry. There's there's a lot of the girl empowerment, girl power, that sort of element to this, which would go, you know, on the pop end with Wannabe and, and the Spice Girls and that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, a year you, later, you can kind of make I think you make the case that at least just a girl feels like a transition to that point. Cause they're taking a similar message and twisting it to be sarcastic and doing it with a wink and a smile. Mm-hmm. But the underlying message is similar to what you would hear from maybe, you know, a rye girl or something like that, where it's right. You know, be done with more anger and aggression. And this is them saying like, hey, yeah, I, I, I like that message. Or what, how can we spin it and do it in a way that's much more accessible, right? People can nod along to it. They get the message without being repelled by it. And then that continues on maybe into the 2000s, you could say, to even become more accessible. Then it just becomes like a jingle almost in a cliche at that point um, in terms of girl power. So this feels like a, it could be a stepping stone to there. When I was listening to this and, and placing myself in you know, this time period back then, it, it didn't feel like there was a precedent for this. Right. I, didn't, I couldn't think of like, oh, a band that sounds like this, doing this thing. And I realized that like, A, them being this successful probably got a lot of those other ska bands signed. Like I believe that Save Ferris said they basically got signed because they were looking for another female fronted ska yeah. rock band. But then I also started thinking like, well, is there any like precedent? Like, is there anybody who who sounded like this before? And the only thing I could think of, because obviously the police are are different and yeah, we mentioned you can talk about like a song sounding like this, but in terms of of this setup was like Blondie. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because she went solo as well, but um not with it with not as a successful yeah uh, outcome but that's it like i was trying to think of uh, even in the 90s like there wasn't uh there wasn't anything like this so i think that's also what caught people you know so off guard and why people responded to it yeah my, that was my reaction at the time i mean when this when just a girl and spider webs in particular hit the radio they just stood out. I mean, the musically it was different. And then, you know, her vocal style is different. It's got a ton of personality in it. You can hear the sarcasm. She does that really well. Mm-hmm. And yes, the scholar elements were, you know, I think different at the time, but there was something about the, it's like bright and clean. And I think at that time, but it's still rock. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of that on the radio. At least I didn't that I remember. So this really cut through like a knife in, in terms of that. And, and, and I'll go back to your guitar playing again. It's a great example of like, you know, you don't hear guitar and pop music anymore, really. If you do, it's like acoustic guitar chords or something. But this is a good example of like how you play, you know, cool, elect- interesting electric guitar in a pop band. Um, unfortunately, like, like producers after this, like, maybe couldn't find other people willing to do it or could do it. And like, just to forget it, it's not worth trying to figure out. But like, I think this is a really good example of like at that time, you know, it still could fit in rock radio because they're, you know, had guitar in it and had that edge, but the guitar playing was so song oriented and not overbearing that it also crossed over immediately to pop and became super accessible to, a much broader audience than just 
alternative, you know, radio. Don't Speak helped a ton with that. Mm -hmm. But even those first two singles felt like different in that way. people mentioned in the comments at least a couple people about this being a transitional album from the pure ska of like their early stuff this they start to reduce the ska and i believe at the end of the tragic kingdom tour is when they got rid of this the horn section okay like they basically announced like this is the last show and they were stripping it down to just a four-piece since eric stefani had left as well and then they would go pure like there's there's some ska-ish stuff happening, but it's very pop on the next couple of records. I think it's interesting that like Don't Speak is essentially one of the oddballs on this record because A, it's a ballad. Yeah. Ska bands don't often do ballads. Right. And if you think about the history of like ballads with regards to pop music, that's when, if you look back less than 10 years ago, that's when hair metal was like at its create not creative peak, but its commercial peak was when every band could nail a power ballad for MTV. And it's interesting because after this, you get like the Goo Goo Dolls Iris, like power ballads kind of come back oh, yeah. into vogue yep. in the second half of the decade. I think that's when Brick happens with Ben Folds, probably around this time, 95, 96. Yep. Um, the the curious- industry figured it out. It was like, oh yeah, this is really the same as before. Okay, got right. it. Like. We were disoriented for a couple of years, but now everything goes back to the way it was. Right. Because there, I mean, not that there wasn't slow songs, like, uh, you know, uh, Stone Temple Pilots had a couple, like Creep was a slow song. And yeah. yeah. And um, the, the, they had heavy guitars on them. And... But they weren't power ballads. They weren't ballads yeah, in the way that, were, like, Don't right. Speak is. Right. And Alice Chase is the same thing. Like, Roosters. <laughs> Not a, it's a it's a slow song. It ain't a ballad. So like being, it's kind of it's a little bit edgy to put a yeah. ballad on this record, um, which is completely bizarre to say because this is not an edgy album in in that way. But there is a lot of like interesting choices that I don't think I don't think if they had failed so miserably on the first attempt to make this record that they would have taken the chances. Hmm on this record yeah. like clearly they them getting shot down by their record label saying this thing is a complete disaster put it on your own and start over made yeah. them go look we can't just rely on up upstrumming our guitars and doing you know a, 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 a ska rock we got it we yeah. got to like come up with something a little bit more interesting yeah i did actually say to katie i was like i i wonder if you know math we mentioned matthew Wilder was the producer i'm like the singles are so good. I wonder if they, like, how many rights, rewrites they went through. Did they get input from other people, like outside writers, just like feedback and stuff? Because they are so tight. Yeah. And so well put together. Not that the, the rest of the album is like terrible in comparison, but those are like super well written. And I guess, you know, obviously with Wilder there, that helps. You have, you get a lot of feedback from, a guy like that yeah he's not there to push the record button but for sure something i thought about for uh for spider webs for sure i think there was another one uh maybe sunday morning too that's one of the few songs i can think of i didn't do exhaustive research here i'm going off top of mind but you tell me if you can think of any uh where it's a big hooky chorus you know hit radio song and it's played double time mm-hmm like that is pretty unusual 
right? It is. Yeah, today you can't get a song above like 90 beats per minute. Yeah, I mean, that part. snare is just cranking. It's just... Ding, 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 uh, yeah, ding. <laughs> it's super fast. <laughs> um, that that struck me. I mean, at the time it didn't seem unusual, but now listening to it is like, oh my goodness, you would never hear a song like this on pop radio. Holy moly. Yep. It gets way too aggressive from a rhythm, rhythm standpoint. So what on the record doesn't work for you? When they go into the, you know, just basically ska band mode mm-hmm. or blues band mode or disco band mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they go genre. Yeah. And yeah. they don't vary it up. You know, I love those elements creeping in through the other songs we talked about, but, you know, different people is a good example of like, okay, it's a ska song. Mm-hmm. The climb is like this six eight ballad feel. It's kind of bluesy. It almost feels like they're trying to write Queen somebody to love, but they're not quite. And it's six forty. Like there, what? And it's way too long. I mean, there's some interesting stuff that happens in that song. Yeah, it gets weird. Like <laughs> in the same way, Tragic Kingdom turns into like a, you know, this weird bizarro circus thing. It's just not as interesting as a song. No, um, you can do it. Is like. I don't know. It sounds like Jamiroquai. It's like a f- this funky disco tune with horns and waka waka it guitar. Just, it sounds like, yeah, disco. <laughs> I was like, um, what is happening? Why are why are we doing disco? World Good Round is like a reggae. Yeah, I don't know. And lyrically, it's not great, and it's just kind of corny. Yeah. So, yeah, when they're in this safe space playing genres pretty pretty straight not a compelling band Mm -hmm. when they're mixing that up and keeping you guessing like where are they going to go next oh wow they're like um don't speak you know it's this kind of finger pick dramatic verse and then it turns into this latin kind of vibe for the chorus one example of like okay that's kind of interesting and then you've got something like tragic kingdom where you're like on this carnival ride Mm-hmm. Um, with these really bizarre chords, and you know, so a lot of the stuff we talked about, there's these just really cool juxtapositions of faking you out, you know, starting ska, but then flipping it another way, or bringing instruments together that don't normally go together, or, or whatever. And that works great when they don't do that, it's like vanilla, you know, yeah. not not super interesting. I'm I'm right there with you. Like I was absolutely bef- when I first time listened through and you can do it comes on. I just like stopped what I was doing. I was like, what the f- is this? <laughs> I was it made me mad for a minute. So it's like, oh, are we getting into dumb songs now? Like yeah. uh yeah, when they when they just stick to a very simple concept, not only do this is the song kind of boring, but I don't feel like she does much melodically because it gets locked into those rhythms and it doesn't there's nothing there from a melody standpoint to like catch on to look she's she's great on this record but i came away from it with time and distance really like i said when i led with what worked appreciating the band a hell of a lot more than i did at the time Mm -hmm. they were just so over focused on her and the marketing it was hard to even yep pay attention to them but when you just listen to the record with as fresh ears as you you know as possible at this point she's very good but she does not like uh when we did four non blondes you know linda perry just right just elbows her way to the front of that record 
mm-hmm. we just did the uh the gets and it was the same situation like me as a pot just pushes her way to the front of that record and you're like oh yeah i guess there's a band here too but man I, i'm just listening to the singer because it's so compelling i didn't have that experience listening to this record you know she, her, vocally it's fine she's an interesting singer but it was not like she was head heads above them you know it was to me very much a band record which i ended up yeah quite a bit and i remember seeing at the time like i mean they were a band that like got in a you know a crappy old van and toured on their first record you know very low low cost you know gigging it out and i think that's when they had the horns they were like taking a horn section around with them too so i mean if anybody thinks that they weren't like authentic that they came like they were somehow you know put together <laughs> which I, it's not like this was this is a no. band a real band but I you think can you can see and hear i think you're you're touching on it with like the quality of the the um the the singles here i think you can even see it in like the album cover like some industry folks got a hold of them and said look guys like I know you enjoy being a ska band here, but uh, Mm -hmm. here's how you sell this, right? One, go listen to your producer. Two, you know, put Gwen in the forefront of the album cover and put the other dudes in the back, like literally like (laughs) four miles in the background standing in a field. (laughs) And I'm sure they were like, I don't know, man, this doesn't feel right. They were like, look, do you want to like have a career in this business or not? And they're probably like, okay. And I'm sure after that, when you look at the album covers, they don't do this anymore, right? The album covers are like graffiti or like the last one was like four equal pictures of each member, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm reading into like, this is a little bit of like uh, selling your soul to the devil. I think it's uh, do these things, you will be successful. And also you will be potentially trapped by this uh, going forward now. Right. In some ways, I mean, uh, you know, I agreed with you about what I, what didn't work. I was thinking about this in terms of um, when it came out and and how it hit. Like, this is, in some ways, a a necessary response to the, you know, downtuned grunge hard rock of the '90s, and this is almost like new waves, uh, you know, poppier. Uh, response to the punk of uh, you know the Ramones and Sex Pistols and that kind of stuff, where New Wave took it in a much cleaner and more radio friendly direction, and this just kind of seems like the necessary reaction to it to all yeah. that was happening. Like, you know, I went to concerts, and um, when you went to see Stone Temple Pilots, it was a particular type of crowd. And if you go to see No Doubt, that's going to be a different kind of crowd. And they're going to be having fun in the way that like a crowd that goes to a pop concert is going to be having fun. Although, I mean, there's obviously going to be ska fans there as well. But if there's ska fans there, it means there's going to be some dancing. So it's like kind of a big cultural shift as well in terms of like the concert going experience. Like the the dominant albums and the dominant records are no longer mosh pit based. Yeah, They're becoming more inclusive in terms of you know everybody going obviously we don't you know this did i think it did eight million around the time and then it since then it's caught up to like 10 million i don't know where it actually sits right now but it it, i now it's listed you know top 1000 albums of all time you know those kinds of things and um it's got all sorts of awards for being for sales across the world and whatnot I don't feel like I know Gwen Stefani has a, a a status because of she's been on shows and she she had a solo career, but that kind of petered out after like basically one record. Yeah, um, the second I don't think the second record did nearly as well as the first, one. or it's either the second didn't do as well as the first, or the or the third didn't do as well as the second. I don't exactly remember, but she seems like one of those people that's just a celebrity now, and you're it's getting to the point where like. I don't even know why you're just like, right. hey, that's, a, that's a famous person. What do they do? And you're starting to forget like, oh yeah, she was in no doubt. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, let me see. Uh, what was the se- Love Angel Music Baby was the second one, second album that had The Sweet Escape. I don't know if that did his. No, The Sweet Escape was the second record. Love Angel Music Baby is the first record. That's the one that had Bananas, Hollaback Girl, uh, What You Waiting For, which was written with Linda Perry, Rich Girl. I mean, oh, this that first album had a ton of singles. Jeez. That's 2004 as well. So within a nine-year span, you get Tragic Kingdom, then you get the follow-up Return of Saturn, and then uh, Love Angel Music Baby, her solo record. I mean, and oh, you got Rocksteady in as well. I mean, that's a ton of hits in a nine-year span Yeah, that she has got a lot of co-writes on. No wonder she's a celebrity because she's basically, <laughs> he doesn't have to do anything. That's why she, doesn't have to make music anymore and tour because she can just be a judge on America's Got Talent or whatever, or America's Next Voice person. What's it called? Yeah. The Voice Show? The uh, Voice? Is it yeah, called The I Voice? Guess, I think so. Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, I don't follow the band that closely, but I'm not aware of like anything notable that the rest of the members of the band have done either, which is odd. I mean, I, I can see one way, like, he probably made a lot of money from, from these couple of records and you don't need to, um, you don't want to, but I don't know. They feel like uh, a little odd that you haven't seen them in other bands or doing other things. Probably. Yeah, I know. I think Tony Canal's done some like songwriting and producing for other bands, but not like a ton. Oh, he, he wrote a song for Weezer on their Hurley record. He worked with All Time Low and some other ones, but there's not a huge yeah. discography of It's kind of stuff. just maybe just doing interesting things when they come along, but not uh, not feeling like you need to, which is nice. <laughs> right. I think we all want to be there. But I wonder, I, I wonder what the cultural impact is of their music. I know Gwen Stefani's present, but like, I guess this gets probably played on alternative radio that plays classic alternative now i don't know well i mean there was a rush of like you mentioned i think a ska signings and you know a brief moment there where it felt like oh this is going to become an an enduring aspect of rock music i mean at the time it felt that way Mm -hmm. because it's again it's it's one of the forms of what, what they stumbled on here right was a bringing sky in so that it's danceable and also um, accessible in how the instrumentation works. And obviously they prove that it can produce hit songs. And then you saw some, a bunch of other bands start to get signed and, you know, sort of a little scene or like movement started to happen. And then it very quickly fizzled. Yeah. Um, I suppose none of those other bands really had the songs that the, that this band had, but, it certainly felt at the time that we were going to get a lot more of this for a lot longer. Um, and they themselves didn't even really, I mean, I'm somewhat familiar with the, the material after this. I don't remember anything really ever sounding like this stuff. Right. It got it, much it got, more pop after this. It got very pop and R&B and sort of like whatever was going on at the time they were. Yeah. They sounded like. Well, in terms of the ska thing, I feel like after the grunge stuff starts to implode and slow down. It just becomes a genre hopping exercise for the rest of the decade. Like you get this moment where like, Oh, is it going to be ska? Nope. Uh, Is it going to be swing music revival? Nope. Is it going to be electronica? Like the prodigy and chemical brothers. Are we all going to have synthesizers instead of guitars? Nope. Uh, Are we going to, it kind of like bounced around a little bit before landing on new metal as like the dominant, rock genre to end the decade and it was just anything alternative was getting signed and then there'd be these you know cohesive sort of sounds that would all get lumped together even if they you know didn't necessarily play together or know each other and that kind of just it was because there was so much money flowing around there was just like any alternative band if it's alternative we're going to sign it yeah I mean, the thing so I'm kind of listening to the return of Saturn and, and there's elements of the songwriting that's there, but like they start mm-hmm. to use electronics. Mm-hmm. 
and I think that increases more and more. On Tragic Kingdom, I mean, this is all playing. There's no drum yeah. machines on this. It's all real drumming. There's some. There's a lot of keyboards, but it's all performed. It feels like this is the capturing a a band that's really tight, plays a ton, has taken a, a couple passes at writing these songs, got with the producer, made them even better. There's just a lot of time and energy into both the playing of these songs and the pr- production of them that is very difficult to sustain, right? I think a lot of bands, you see this in their career, especially as you get more into the 2000s. Like, if you have any whiff of commercial success, you start to see the bands, like, playing less together. They start using more drum machines. Like, it just becomes this whole, I mean, you know, Maroon 5, for example, like, early on, it's like, oh, this is a band. And then later on, a couple albums later, you're like, what? This is... Mm-hmm. just another pop song or the killers you know the first records you know all performed and sounds super urgent and you can tell it's a band and then later on the records you're like i don't know it just sounds like a singer and a bunch of like studio people i don't even know is this still a band thing anymore so it, it also is one of the examples maybe the 90s the first examples of that happening where it goes from band to like as they get more successful it becomes more about like just making song, making hit songs, whatever that takes. Yep. Not necessarily playing together, you know? Y- yes. Let's, uh, let's talk about our overall rating for this diamond 10 million selling, uh, uh, album tragic kingdom, which unlike, uh, like a lot of the 10 million, uh, diamond sellers, you can find a lot of used copies of these cds yeah for sure it's, it's funny how many people uh i mean you could even 20 years ago but it's going to be hard to find those original 500 vinyl yes maybe vadim has still has one somewhere i wonder how they are they must have compressed the hell out of that because this is a 59 minute record mm, so and i don't think probably they did a double terrible. album yeah it's probably <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. Or it's a couple, it, had, it would have to be a couple discs. Maybe three sides. Yeah, maybe. Something like that. Two, Where do you two. land uh on this record? Is it a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single? I've got 10 songs that I genuinely think are really strong. Uh so I'm gonna go with a worthy album. Uh obviously there's some filler here. I think you could drop a 10. If this if this album was you drop those songs and it was just those 10 songs. And seven of those are singles. You're talking about like cars territory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you listen to uh, what record is that? Shit. That's that's self-titled debut. The cars. Yeah. When you listen to that record now, you're like, holy shit. Every song on this record is a hit. I mean, it's like, the first Van Halen record and the first Boston <laughs> right, record too. Like, yeah, exactly. If they edit this record down a little bit, they're in that. I think they're in that space. You got seven singles, and I think tens. I think tens that are all high quality pop songs. Mm-hmm. Where are you at? I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I would cut "World Go Round," "You Can Do It," "The Climb," "Different People," and I think that's ten incredibly strong songs. I like when this band. I think this is probably where the cutoff is for me because I like when this band does interesting stuff like in the closing track, Tragic Kingdom, where it's a little weird. Yeah. Um, and that's probably Eric Stefani's influence. Yep. It's interesting because he can write such an interesting song like that, but then write kind of a dull song with the climb. Yep. But stuff like that, you know, Spider Webs and Just a Girl, like those are just killer singles um that i've been able to sort of reappreciate now that i'm not completely you know over the band because of getting overplayed so yeah it's a worthy record which i didn't expect i it took me a while to come around to accepting that because i think my hatred of don't speak going into this made had bias look when i went into this i fully expected to be uh, bored to tears with it i'm gonna mm-hmm. be honest between like over the oversaturation of the singles and then 
my impression that this was going to be a lot of like, you know, second tier ska. Yeah. I was, I was pretty surprised. Yep. We're both surprised at, uh, at what we've done here, which is to talk about a record that a lot of people have heard. And maybe we've said something new and interesting. I don't know. You'll have to tell us in the comments. Uh, you know, we're on the, all the socials. If you don't, if you're not aware, we're on the Facebook, we're <laughs> on uh, the Twitter, the Instagram, the TikTok. I throw memes out out there on the TikTok, by the way. Usually they get like 200 views, but occasionally like a few thousand people like a, a 90s music meme. So if you like those sorts of things. Something catches fire every now and then. Yeah. A little nostalgia. You know, well, uh, like I threw up a, a, a Beastie Boys yeah. one and it got like, you know, all the Beastie Boy fans. Well, the thousands of them on, <laughs> on TikTok. Uh, they were they were happy. So uh, that the socials where you can leave some comments, uh, maybe your opinion on this record. If, if you think we were on target, uh, let us know. If not, let us know as well. Our poll at Patreon. This is interesting, Jay. The winner was Better EP with 52%. Hmm. It beat out Worthy Album with 26% and Decent Single 22%. So, and I can understand if you are not into this album, if you weren't into it then, I doubt you'd be into it now. I at least appreciated, even though I wasn't familiar with Ska, I wasn't, I at least appreciated the first couple singles before I got sick of the band. <laughs> I didn't run out and buy the album, but at least I was like, yeah, that's a good, that's a good song. Yeah. We're going to do this again. Uh, you know, maybe next month, maybe we've got to see what the schedule looks like. Maybe a couple months from now, but we're going to, we've only got these number of albums, you know, this, this list of albums that we gave you here, we're going to knock them out one by one, go through. And, um, people are very excited for us to talk about Creed, uh, Kid Rock, Santana. Oh my goodness. Matchbox 20. <laughs> Some of these I'm, in, uh, I'm genuinely interested in like, Hey, I've never heard that. I wonder, you know, what's like this one. I did have a little bit of a, Right. Because I kind of like spider webs at the time and I thought uh, Don't Speak was a clever song. So there's part of me like, oh, you know, I am kind of interested to hear what the rest of it is like, expecting it to be ska, but still. But there's some on this list where I'm, I, I don't know, man. It's going to be rough. <laughs> I'm Tune well, in. especially looking forward to Melancholy and Infinite Sadness because it's a double album. Yeah. There's so much going on. <laughs> And I, I loved every yeah. minute of it when it came out. Yeah, like I too. was, I went to the midnight sale. Uh, I was like in love with that record. I think I still have my receipt from when that I might be the one record. of the few, the one of the few that we both owned when it came out and listened to quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty obsessed with the band. I was buying European singles, like oh my goodness, CD singles, trying to get like B sides. Uh, first off, like that's how into the band I was at the time. So I can uh, tell you that that has not uh, maintained over the years <laughs> for various reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you would like to join our Patreon community, join our union and vote in polls like this or for our roundtables or for our monthly tournaments, you can join us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. That's how you join the union. Support the podcast. Keep us uh, keep the bills paid. And uh, we've got a nice Discord community that talks about stuff. And when they talk about interesting stuff, we might talk about it on here as well. Or they might share a video for a new song like we did a couple, like a month or two ago. Uh, we checked out that Hold Steady song. So we, I, we've had some new stuff pop up. We, we might need to give some things to listen here in an episode or two i know there's like a new extreme album coming and i haven't yeah. heard that. i haven't heard that single yet yeah that would be uh there's supposed to be the album's coming out in june and there's supposed to be a couple more singles released so we'll either do that one or maybe one of the next ones got it's it the first album in 15 years 
they joke that uh, it's taken them longer to make this than uh, Chinese democracy took. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Which is kind of mind-blowing. Time is just moving so fast now. I just, I am uh, often find myself just completely uh, lost in how long. Well, because when we started this happened. podcast, it was the 20th anniversary of everything. And now yeah. it's the 30th anniversary of everything. Right. I, I can't process that. Yeah, neither can I. I think that's why people go crazy as they get old. Because their mind can't <laughs> process the fact that they're getting old. So they just go bonkers. <clears throat> you know, time is an illusion. So I, heard, I thought it was a flat circle. <laughs> that's that too. Okay. Well, which one is it? All right. Patreon, that's where you go. Patreon is also where you can read the box newsletter, which comes out every weekend. Our release calendar of 80s, 90s, and aughts relevant music, books, podcasts, you name it. We talk about it on, we, we list it in the calendar and we do two reviews every week of new releases. And uh, if you'd like to suggest an album, for one of our monthly poll tournaments, go to digmeoutpodcast.com where you can also sign up for the box newsletter. And if you like what you heard, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave some kind words for the podcast. That's it. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.